Good morning, Crossroads. I missed seeing you all Sunday. It was a weird experience sitting at home with my family. But we have to realize this may be the new normal for a while, and the staff and LT will be talking about how we can stay connected to one another and continuing, continue caring for one another through this pandemic. So there are two things I want you to hear. First, don't panic. Don't give in to fear. And secondly, be prudent. Take the health, health advisories seriously. And if you're 60 or over, and especially if you're in regular contact with family or friends who are over 70, take the self-isolation advisories seriously. It's going to be an uncomfortable time for all of us, so let's make the adjustments and stay safe. So much for the pandemic. We'll have more coming to you soon. What I want to do is talk to you about Matthew 5. So, salt and light. Just the most basic things. We all use salt. Some of us have changed in recent years to sea salt or pink salt. So we're already beginning to understand that not all salt is created equal. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But a few years ago, a friend introduced me to Robert Lupton. So Lupton's a Jesus follower and a psychologist. And one day he was asked to speak at a large evangelical seminary. He was in front of over 500 men and women who were training for ministry. And halfway through the seminar, he asked them this question. What are you learning in your class on loving God? And there was a blank space for a moment, and a brave soul finally said, Actually, we don't have a class on loving God. So then he asked another question. Okay, so what are you learning in your class on loving your neighbor? Same answer. Well, actually, we don't have a class like that. So Lepton says, So if I remember it right, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You have classes on everything, but not this. Are you sure this is an evangelical seminary? So reading from Matthew 5 in the message, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you up there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine, keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So, we're called to be salt and light, but something gets in the way. In Denver, a group of churches got together to find out what was in the way, and, and they found that the two biggest reasons that we don't take Jesus seriously, fear, our worrying, and pace, the speed at which we live. So first, fear. Fear isn't a single thing. It's complex. But one of the results of fear is that we look for ways to be in control. As Eugene Peterson put it, most of us are subtle control addicts. So back in 2010, Betty and I were part of a street church in Kelowna. One time she came home with a trunk full of boxes and the seats were full of bags. And I knew what was coming next. She was going to ask me to unload all that stuff into my garage. 
we were storing someone's junk. Well, it was junk to me, but for someone living on the street, it might be everything. And it was going into my garage, and there's no telling when it would be out of there. So I complained and gave her a hard time. Because this is the reality. When you get involved with people, you will literally get their baggage too. Living in a broken world is messy. So what do we do to avoid this? We withdraw. We build walls. We make rules. We find ways to create distance between us and them. Jesus died to make two one, according to Ephesians. He died to remove walls, but we build them. Sometimes the way we build walls are subtle, like a dress code, which might say, hey, if you want to worship with us, you have to dress this way. Or sometimes it's not so subtle, like, you know, man, if you're going to use that language, just stay home, okay? And I remember when we were part of a street church, one day we were doing baptisms, and one of the new brothers was standing in the tank giving his testimony, and a few of us were laughing and cringing at the F-bombs and thinking, oh man, I hope there's no tape recorders. Another way we build walls and stay safe is by creating a Christian ghetto. We're so busy doing Christian stuff with Christians, we don't have time to know any unbelievers. We don't have time to live like Jesus, and it frustrates the heart of the Father because he's glad for the 99, but he's out looking for the one. So Jesus gives us a few ways to think about his mission in the world, the mission where he invites us to work with him. So let's talk about salt and light, and mostly salt. So first, salt is only useful if you spread it around. If you create piles of it, it's useless. Second, salt is only useful, it only does its salty work when it's actually in contact with stuff. So salt has to do two things. It has to be salt, and it has to not be other stuff. So it has to stay distinctive. You have to know it's salt. And it has to actually contact other stuff. It has to be out there making a difference. And one way we get messed up is by making the salt issue all about morality. In other words, some people think that how this works is that salt preserves the morality of our culture. And there's some truth in that, but that's just one result of the gospel. So recently, I got a mailing sent to pastors, and the argument was that we're the salt of the earth, so that means we have to fight for traditional values. And this gets heard a lot around election times, especially in the U.S., and then we justify making all kinds of judgments about others. And in the name of being salt, or in the name of moral purity, we lay judgments and burdens on others when Jesus has clearly said, in the measure you judge, you will be judged. And as Paul said, stop judging those outside the church. And we protect ourselves, we stay away from questionable, questionable people like Jesus did. Well, actually, wait a minute. Jesus always seemed to be with edgy people. We know from his life that being salt does not mean isolation. And it doesn't mean judging others. It's not about moral policing. And Jesus is our best example for saltiness, right? I'm glad Jesus loved me and my mess and my sin. How about you? And we have some work to do in this area because our reputation as Christians is not like the reputation of Jesus. Rather, we have a reputation of being all about fear and control. So instead of people seeing humility and grace, instead some will see an attitude of superiority. And instead of meekness, sometimes we're arrogant, as if we have it all figured out. So we have some work to do. So let's dig a bit. 
Exactly what is Jesus telling us in Matthew 5? And like a lot of other scriptures, because we read our Bibles in English, we assume we know what Jesus is on about, but unfortunately, that's often not the case. So back to where I started. For salt to be useful, it has to be distinctive. You have to know it's salt. And this begs a really basic question. The question is, what forms us? What shapes us as a biblical people, a salty people? And the answer is, we're formed by the soil we grow in. Much of our lives as believers these days is not shaped by biblical values because most of our attention is not on Jesus, but on the world. The function of popular culture and the many billions of dollars of marketing machines is to shape us into good consumers whose first concern is stuff. And that means we're at risk of losing all our saltiness, our distinctiveness, because we run after all the things the world runs after. And the function of popular culture is to cater to our every desire. So we have to ask ourselves, is that where we end up as a church? Do we just become good spiritual consumers? I hope not, but how would we measure that? So do we end up choosing to participate in the life of the church only when it suits us, when it scratches an itch, or when the carpet is just the right color? Or maybe we show up when our favorite worship leader is leading. Because if that's true, we're just spiritual consumers, not disciples. We need to get to that place where we're serving a purpose that is much larger than we are. So at the end of this story in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus adds to his argument like this. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this feels a little like an obtuse argument for modern people. Part one feels clear enough, but what about this reference to soil and to manure? One of our favorite topics in the spring in dairy country, right? Yeah. So what's going on here? According to specialists in environmental science and soil chemistry, salt has been a major method of fertilizing soil for centuries. Yeah, you heard that right, salt as fertilizer. An old article in the journal Biblical Archaeology was titled Salt, Soil, Savior. The author was Eugene Dietrich, former head of the Soils Department at West Virginia University. He says that Jesus was speaking not primarily of salt's household use, but of its agricultural use. According to him, several kinds of salt are found in Palestine, and they're different from the kind that we're familiar with. He notes that agricultural literature abounds in references to the use of salt as a fertilizer. So the value of salt in small quantities was well known in ancient times, and it was referenced often by both Romans and Greeks. When Jesus spoke about salt, he was referring to several varieties of salts used in the first century, and these were not like modern table salt, sodium chloride. The salts in Jesus' day were mixtures of chlorides of sodium, magnesium, and potassium, with small amounts of gypsum. And these hardier, saltier salts were more valuable in an agricultural context because their benefits lasted longer. So what would this verse look like if we restated it with this first century meaning? Maybe like this. You are like the salt for the soil, a stimulant for growth. If you become like the savorless salt, no longer good for anything, 
How will the gospel of the kingdom take root and grow? So Christians are not here to merely season or preserve the world from decay. The followers of Jesus are sent on a mission to stimulate growth in the parts of the world that are barren. We are to be mixed into the manure piles of the world so that God can use that fertilizer to bring new virtuous life. The gospel is uniquely designed to bring life from death and decay. The call of the salty is the call to move toward the broken. Instead of going where things are bright, new and comfortable, we have a call to explore opportunities that will probably not make sense in the eyes of normal people. People may say things like, well, she has a degree in history, a graduate degree. Why is she teaching fifth grade in isolated northern Alberta? Or they might say, well, they've both got careers and leadership gifts. Why do they spend so much time working with special needs adults in their community when they could be making a difference in the corporate world? When we realize that we are fertilizer, we measure our value by the growth of others, not by our comfort or vocational success. So that's part one, salt for the soil. What about this reference to the manure pile? Peasants in the east make cooking fires wherever they are, in a hut, in a village, or on the side of a hill. But there's not much wood in most places. It's mostly scrubby brush. So they carry bundles of small sticks, if they're prepared, but sticks don't burn very long or very hot. What else to use as fuel? Well, animal dung. Even in the hills, it's not hard to find. So when peasants are traveling, they carry something else besides sticks. They carry a block of salt. Why? It turns out that if you put a block of salt in the center of your fire and then add the sticks and dung over the top, the fire burns much hotter as a chemical interaction. But if salt loses its saltiness, you can't use it that way anymore. So this second use of salt is to keep the fire hot. Okay, what's the application for us? How about this? Keep your first love burning hot. We used to make this salt message about morality or influence, but before it's either of those things, it's about passion. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Fruit and growth needs fertilizer, but also for humans, passion. If we lose that quality of relationship to Jesus, if we lose that intimacy, we may still be biblical people or moral agents, but we won't be agents of grace. And we don't want to reduce the gospel to morality. Rather, we want to shine like lights in the world. So in this verse, at the end of the story in Luke, Keep stoking the fire of your faith. Stay near to Jesus. Stay in his word. Commune with his people. We all know that a coal on its own soon loses its glow. Okay, moving on, there's a little more to know about salt. The salt story actually starts a lot, starts a lot further back than Matthew 5. Leviticus 2, verse 13. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to your offerings. So you see the message here? The very flavor of the covenant is salty. In the Old Testament, it was the salt of law. In the New Testament, the salt is grace. John 1.16 Of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace upon grace. 
Some of us need a lot of grace, eh? What is it we get when we get grace? Favor with God. We get forgiveness, approval, mercy. Even more than that, because we're adopted into God's family, not based on our action or ability, or how great we look or good we smell, but on God's action. Grace is what comes to us in Christ, apart from our personal performance. And then slowly, we put on Christ and put off our old garments. And having received grace, we should walk in it. It should flavor us, our relationships, our conversation, our choices. So often, too often, the flavor we leave with people is an old covenant flavor, but mercy triumphs over judgment. This world is broken, messy, sick, in even deeper ways than COVID-19. Manure piles are all around us. They come to us in the form of devastated lives. There are lifeless sections of soil in every small town, big city, every suburb. There are friends and family members who lives, whose lives are in a state of disaster. Financial problems, addiction, oppression, poor decision-making, ignorance, a whole host of messy problems in the lives of those we care about. But our presence in the world offers the hope of life when we live as signs of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Live in love as Christ has loved you and gave his life for you. So salt seasoning is all about being sent. And in Isaiah 42, we read this description of the one whom God will send. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And then a bit further along in 42 verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. There's that covenant saltiness again. As a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. This is the passage Jesus quotes as he begins his ministry because this is what the gospel is all about. Healing, deliverance, shalom. Jesus arrives to rescue the world, to rescue the broken and the lost, to set the world to rights. When we look at events around the world, and we see increasing division between rich and poor, black and white, and we see even Christians denying the need to break down those walls, we know we have an enemy in this world who works against the love and peace of the gospel. Because the cross makes us all equal before God, equally needy. So Menno Simons wrote his description of evangelical faith. He writes this. True evangelical faith cannot lie dormant. It clothes the naked. It comforts the sorrowful. It shelters the destitute. It serves those that harm it. It binds up that which is wounded. It seeks those who are lost. 
becomes all things to all people. Lord, make us a salty people. Teach us what it is to be sent ones. And Lord, help us put feet to that path, the path of walking with you in daily life and being salty wherever we are in the messes, especially in the messes and broken places of the world. May we know ourselves, Lord, as people of the covenant, people of loving kindness and faithfulness and truth. For Jesus' sake, amen.